0: Really? Yeah. Welcome to Grace Church, Medina East Campus, and thanks so much for uh, joining us today, whether you're in this room or joining us on the live stream. I hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving weekend and everything, had a great celebration, got to eat a ton of food and all that. As well, um, if we have never had a chance to meet before, my name's Colin, and I lead United our young adult ministry, uh, and my Thanksgiving was going pretty well until uh, yesterday watching that Buckeyes game that was that was pretty bad right that was pretty hard to get through, but I guess it's a good reminder that Jesus is the only rock that we can build our life on, right not even not even the Buckeyes. so if you are a Buckeyes fan and need some prayer, we got you all right so Uh, If it is your first time here, we just want to welcome you and thank you so much for coming out and uh, spending some time with us this morning. And so I figured I'd begin today by even just catching us up with where we've been in the series that we've been going through for the past several weeks. And so we've been in a uh, multi-part series studying the incredible New Testament book of Acts that kind of tells us about the beginning of the movement of Jesus. And so after spending about five weeks talking about the message of Jesus, we have spent the last four talking about the mission of Jesus. And we've been asking questions like, what was the original mission, the original purpose that Jesus gave to his first century followers? And what was it not, right? And is it possible that nearly 2,000 years later that we, in this room, that for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we might have drifted from that original mission? And so, so far, we've discussed that this mission uh, that's central to it is to this idea of proclaiming the kingdom of God, that that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he came to initiate this new reality that he called the kingdom, And then he tasked his followers to proclaim that kingdom with with our lives and our lips. And we also said that Jesus sends his followers out with his spirit. That he didn't just send us out with a mission, but he actually sends us out with his presence. That followers of Jesus are actually mobile hotspots of God's presence in the world. And in the past couple weeks, we've been looking at uh, who did Jesus send us out to, right? Like who is this mission to? And We talked about this idea of making no distinction between who we might share this, the message of Jesus with, that the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is for all people, even for outcasts, whether that be moral or social or religious outcasts. And so hopefully, uh, I know this series has been so helpful for me, and hopefully it's been the same way for you, and just really clarifying for what it means for us to continue to follow this mission today. Uh, and if you missed any of these past weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and check that out on our app or on the podcast. You guys can, can check out these past weeks. Uh, but like I said, maybe you've just been really excited as you've been uh, hearing this series uh, about thinking about engaging in this mission. And maybe God has even brought to mind maybe people in your life or spaces kind of in your week where you can intentionally engage in this mission. Uh, But maybe even with all the excitement, you're still kind of asking the question of how? How do I do that? Like, where do I begin? Uh, How do we partner with Jesus in his mission? Like, what could that actually look like in our lives? Maybe we are longing for some practicality to translate this new excitement and new vision for Jesus' mission into some action into our lives. Uh, well, if that's you, uh, I'm really glad you're here today, because I think today's passage that we're going to look at is going to help us do just that. And so we're going to be looking at Acts eight twenty-six through 40 today, and that's going to be on page 890 in the Bibles under your seats. And so you can feel free to find your way to this passage. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of those under the seats. Um, But this passage here today is actually the awesome story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so I know that uh, Pastor Tony actually touched on this passage last week in his sermon. Uh, But what I want to do today, basically, is to treat this uh, passage as almost like a case study for what it could mean for us to partner with Jesus in his mission. And so let's just read through this passage, and then we'll kind of circle back around to make some observations about partnering with Jesus in his mission. And so hopefully you guys had a chance to get there. I'm going to read uh, out of an actual Bible today. Now, I'm not going to put these, uh, these whole verses up on the screen. I'll have some verses up there later. But uh, we'll jump in here. So Acts 8, 26, here it is. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on, uh, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up with him uh, and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life Was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So awesome. So there it is. There's this really action-packed and kind of incredible passage of Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. And I know at first glance, uh, we might think that this passage has very uh, little to say to us when we think about our normal experience of Jesus's mission, right? Like this, this passage seems pretty miraculous. Uh, Philip is kind of divinely led uh, by an angel and by God's spirit to this eunuch. He, he shares the message of Jesus with him. And right there on the spot, the guy gives his life to Jesus, gets baptized, before the Spirit of God takes Philip and just sends him elsewhere to continue to preach the gospel, right? And so we might look at this passage and think nothing, we might doubt that anything like this could happen today in our world. And while certainly there is a lot of unique features in this passage that we just read, I'm convinced that it still is a very helpful passage for us to think about what the mission of Jesus should or even could look like for us today. And I'm convinced that this passage tells us that we partner with Jesus in three ways. In first, being receptive to his spirit. In second, being perceptive to people. and third, being equipped with his message. And I've actually adapted these three ideas from a uh, sermon that Pastor Tony gave a a couple years ago on this similar passage. So credit to him because his his sermon was super helpful for me today. Uh, But I think the first thing we're going to see is that we partner with Jesus in being receptive to his spirit. Uh, But we're going to see that the passage doesn't begin with his spirit, but actually with an angel. And so check out verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so this angel shows up to Philip and tells him to go south, uh, go to the road south of Jerusalem. And so not only would this have seemed pretty out of the way for Philip, but this also probably wouldn't have made much sense to him. Uh, because the beginning of chapter 8 tells us that Philip, who just started out as like this regular uh, servant in the Jerusalem church, he's sent out to the region north of Jerusalem in Samaria. And there he begins to share the message of Jesus and becomes this incredible evangelist, leading like large groups of people to Jesus. And so you would think that if it was up to him— he'd probably continue to do that, right? Like he seems like he has a pretty fruitful ministry going on. So it seems like he would continue to preach to these large crowds of people in these cities. But instead, he's sent south. God sends him south to this random desert road. And instead of sticking to his plans, he's receptive to God. He he trusts God. He's available and open-handed when God speaks to him because he must have believed that God knew better than he did how he should lead his life. Right. And on the way down there, he runs into this eunuch, and he hears God speaking again, but this time through his spirit. So this is what it says in verse 29. It says, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to that chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? So it says that the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to Philip. What was that like? I don't know, this is just kind of all we get. Uh, but clearly, he, the, the Spirit, was directing Philip towards this chariot. And so Philip decides to run up to this chariot and start this conversation with this very compelling opening line of, do you understand that, right? That's just kind of how he opens this conversation. And so I can't imagine just how awkward this would have been running up to this random chariot and just starting a conversation that way, right? It, it was awkward at best, and probably at worst, it was probably pretty creepy, uh, but give, give Philip some credit because notice the only direction that he was given was to go to that chariot and stay near it. God simply directed him to this stranger, but he gave him no indication of how this whole thing was going to play out. And so I can't even imagine what would have been in Philip's mind as he was approaching this chariot. Right? He probably had millions of questions and doubts about this whole thing. Like, why me, Lord? Well, why are you sending me to this, to this random desert road? Or, or what, what exactly am I going to say to whoever I find in this chariot? Like, I'm sure he longed for a little bit more clarity on, on why he was there and how this whole thing was gonna play out, right? Like, I'm sure he would want to be a little bit more prepared with a plan or a speech of what he's gonna say during this interaction. Not to mention how dumb it must have felt to just run up to this chariot and try to start this conversation. But even though it probably would have felt really weird, Again, Philip, Philip trusts God when he's speaking to him. He's receptive to God's spirit. He's willing to take that risk. And I think when we look at this kind of interaction here, and as we think about maybe doing this ourselves, we, we might long for more clarity as well, right? Like we might ask some questions like, what did it look like exactly for God to speak through his spirit? Or how did Philip know God was the one speaking? How did he know it wasn't him or someone or something else? And maybe most importantly, does he still speak like this to us today? Like, are we to expect this same kind of thing? And while I'm not entirely sure about the mechanics of of how all this works, um, my guess is that if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, you may have experienced something at least somewhat similar to what's going on in this passage here. I mean, I can tell you about the first time I did. Uh, It was my senior year at Ohio State. I I was finishing up my my degree, uh, and it was my college roommate's birthday. And so I roomed all four years with one of my best friends from high school. And so in order to celebrate his birthday, we were having a bunch of my buddies kind of come down to Columbus to, to celebrate. And I just remember that the week leading up to that weekend, I just remember God was really laying these guys on my heart. Uh, you know, at that point in my life, during kind of the past couple years of college, Jesus had really been changing my life. And, and now all of a, a large group of my friends who did not know Jesus were coming into town. And it just felt like God was, was telling me, like, just just talk to them about me. Just say something about me to them. And I, I remember my first reaction was probably pretty similar to Phillips, right? I was like, Lord, what am I going to say to these guys? You know, I had never had a conversation with them about, about that kind of thing. Or, you know, Lord, how are these guys even going to respond? Like, it's probably going to be weird, right? Like, it typically is weird uh, with these conversations. Like, Lord, can't we just have a, a normal weekend without me making it awkward? Uh, and, you know, I was just really nervous about how this whole thing was going to play out because God didn't give me any clarity beyond this uh, the, wanting for me to talk to these guys. So I just remember I started praying, uh, you know, the week leading up to that and just just asking God. I said, okay, Lord, if you're wanting me to tell these guys about you, I will. But, but can you help me? Like, can you provide an opportunity? And I'll take it. All right. And sure enough, on that Friday, God gave me that opportunity And honestly, I don't even remember exactly how it happened. I I think my friends were probably making fun of me because I didn't really party like I used to. Uh, And I think I had enough courage to say something like, you guys want to know why I changed? It's because of Jesus, right? It was just something simple and kind of lame like that. All I know is that led us into a two hour long conversation where I got to tell these guys about Jesus and about how he had been changing my life over the past couple years. And man, that conversation led to many of these guys, even coming to the life group, that DJ Douglas and I, who many of you guys know, would start a couple months later to try to reach these guys. And man, I will never forget the feeling I got that night, a feeling that I honestly believe changed the rest of my life. Uh, Because for the first time in my life, I realized that not only was God actively involved in saving people, but they even wanted to use a guy like me, a broken guy like me, to do it. And all I had to be was receptive. All I had to do was trust God when he was speaking to me. What about you guys? You know, have you guys ever had an experience like that? Man, man, how often does this thought that God might want to use us to reach the people in our daily lives, how often does that thought really cross our minds? Man, are, are we available and receptive when God might speak to us about reaching that, that friend, or that coworker, or that neighbor, or that stranger that we constantly bump into throughout the week, right? And how how do we start? Where does this begin? I think practically speaking, I think being receptive to God's spirit begins by kneeling first. It's by prayer and asking God to lead us to those in our lives who need them. You know, we talk often about this idea of praying for our three, praying for three people in our lives who don't know Jesus. And after our church has been doing this for the past few years, it's pretty incredible to hear that across all age groups, some, some people's threes are coming to know Jesus. And even having a handful of them get baptized about a month ago in the Act series. And so I think that tells us that we should continue to pray for our three and even pray that God would give us these opportunities to, to share about Jesus with our three. Whether that's, that's with our three or somebody else we interact with in our daily lives, I think it begins by asking God to lead us to these people in our lives. Right. And so that leads me to this next thing, that we first partner with Jesus in being receptive to his spirit, but second, in being perceptive to people. And what I mean is this, is that we're going to see that God was at work in this stranger's life long before his conversation with Philip. That it wasn't Philip's incredible opening line of, do you understand that? That like made this guy suddenly receptive to Jesus, right? It's been going on long before that. So check out verse 27. It says, it says, so Philip started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And so like we said, God directs Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch. And this passage tells us that this guy, he was an important official in charge of the queen's finances. And so typically at, at this time in history, it was, it was pretty typical for somebody who worked that closely to royalty to have to go through some pretty extreme measures to, to kind of protect the queen, such as having their bod- body physically altered, all right? That's kind of what a eunuch would be. And so if you're still a little fuzzy on what a eunuch is, Jordan, who was playing drums, he said he'd answer everyone's questions after the service, all right? But, but let's just say that this guy, this guy has paid a, a very big cost uh, to find success in his career, probably m- much greater of a cost than many of us in this room would pay, right? But look what else the Bible tells us about this guy. It says that this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And so this guy, this eunuch, He lived in Ethiopia, which would have been northern Africa, but he takes this 1,000-mile trip all the way to Jerusalem to worship. There was something about the Jewish faith that attracted this guy, right? And so he takes vacation time and probably spends a bunch of money to go on this massive trip to Jerusalem to go to the temple, And even buys the book of Isaiah so he can read that over on the way home, which would have not been easy to come by in this day and would have been pretty expensive. And so think about this for a second. Here's this guy who has gone to great lengths, who has paid a great price to find success in his career. And yet he's still searching for something. He's still seeking something. You know, my guess is that he thought that this job, this career was going to be the answer to, to the deepest longings he has in him for, for fulfillment and purpose and joy. But instead, it's just left him feeling empty and depressed and, and literally physically harmed. And so now this guy is in hyper-spiritual search mode, desperately trying to figure out, is there more to life than what I am currently experiencing? And the question we might ask is, what exactly caused all this, right? Like, what brought this about in this guy's life? What led him to a place of feeling so empty and suddenly open to spiritual things? All right, what was that? Was it, was it just his, his bad luck, his bad circumstances that he find himself in now? And he's open to anything that'll get him out of those, Well, the Bible's gonna tell us that something very different from from bad luck or circumstances led this guy, drew this guy to seek God. Jesus said in John six, that no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus said, it's not our circumstances that draw us to seek God. It's that God is at work in those circumstances, drawing people to him. That no one can come to God unless the father first draws them. But Jesus also said that, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That Jesus is drawing all people to himself. That he is at work in all of life's circumstances, drawing all people back to him. You know, sometimes we think that when we are are talking with somebody about Jesus, it's our job to create some sort of spiritual receptivity in them, that we must be, you know, compelling enough, or witty enough or convincing enough that they suddenly start to realize that they need God. And and, you know, that stuff's great, but the truth is God has been at work in that person's life long before we ever even met them. That that through relationships and and through circumstances and through his kindness and blessing in general, he is drawing people to himself. That man, God is even at work in, in the most hardcore atheists, or the person we would least likely expect. Even in the eunuch, who banked his entire life on, on his career being the answer to the deepest longings in life, even that guy is being drawn by God. And so I think this tells us that our, our part, our job in this is to perceive where God might already be at work in someone's life. I think it's to build loving relationships so we can be aware of how the message of Jesus might be the answer to the questions that they're asking about life. Because we can't make somebody open to God. God does that. But when he does, we can be right there to help and partner with God in what he is already doing in someone's life. Again, I remember the first time I kind of experienced this. Uh, One of my best friends, from, from high school, once we graduated, he kind of went down a, a pretty, pretty rough path. And honestly, it was pretty hard to maintain our friendship because I feared that one day I was going to get a call that my buddy was gone. And so it was pretty hard not to lose hope that God could actually reach this guy and change his life because every conversation I had with him about Jesus, it seemed like he was pretty opposed to Jesus being the only way. Then a couple years go by and he, he gives me a call after he had crashed his car and ended up in the hospital. And he told me that now that he was sober and had some time to think, he realized for the first time in his life how much his life needed to change. And he told me he knew that part of, of that change was physical, but he couldn't shake the idea that there was this spiritual element as well. And he knew I was a Christian, so he just, he asked me what I thought. And honestly, when he asked me, I I was in shock. I, I couldn't believe it. Because here's this guy who I thought that God had abandoned as he went off and pursued an extremely harmful lifestyle. But here he is after all he had been through telling me that he's open to spiritual things, that he's open to Jesus. I had doubted God, but God had been at work in this dude's life through all the ups and downs. And man, I was so glad I never gave up on our friendship because I got to see this guy come to know Jesus. And I got to see this guy's life changed. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. And man, I'm convinced that it was just just our friendship, that, that it was just our relationship that led to this opportunity to see what God was doing in his life and to share Jesus with them. I man, I think that's typically how it works. You know, I know in this story, God works in a miraculous way in a stranger's life in a very short time. But I think, I think typically he works overtime in our relationships. I think it takes deep and meaningful relationships to perceive where God might be at work in someone's life. That it takes loving and patient friendships where we walk with people through the ups and downs of life that lead to these opportunities that we can share Jesus with them. And so I think this passage, it forces us to ask the question, man, how do we view the people we interact with in our daily lives? Do we just kind of see them as means to an end? Like, is that annoying dude at the gym? Is he just the guy who's like always taking your favorite workout machine, right? Or, or is that needy coworker, is that just the person that's in your way of getting through your workday? Or is that weird family member just a person to avoid at your family gathering so you don't get stuck in some awkward conversation? Or, or do we see them as people? Do we believe that God is actually at work in these people's lives, drawing them to him? That God is working in these people's lives? man? do we perceive Are we perceptive to to their needs and their questions about life? And are we aware of how the message in the person of Jesus is the answer to those questions and those needs? You know, I've often wondered how many people in my life are, are just one friendship, one deepening relationship, one caring question away from being open to Jesus. I think that if we are praying for these gospel opportunities, for these opportunities to reach the people in our lives, and we keep our eyes open to these relationships, they're going to come. And that leads me to this last thing, that we partner with Jesus in being receptive to his spirit, perceptive to people, and equipped with his message. You know, commentators pointed out uh, something pretty pretty uh, significant about this eunuch status in the Jewish temple system. And so this is something that actually Pastor Tony mentioned last week, but I think it's worth repeating because of how significant and important it is to understanding this passage. But the Jewish temple system would have had some very strict laws about who was actually able to go in to the temple to worship. And according to Deuteronomy 23, one of these laws limited eunuchs from actually being able to go in and be part of God's people. And so think about this. This guy probably takes this massive expensive trip, goes all the way to Jerusalem, goes all the way to the temple, only to find out that he's not even allowed in, that he has to stay on the outer courts, basically to be told that he's too broken, too unclean to draw near, to have a relationship with God. And so you can just imagine how how devastated this guy must have felt. The man, his life and his job have failed him, And he thought, well, maybe religion, maybe God is the answer, but it seems like that has failed him too. And so now he is on his way home, just pouring himself over the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And when Philip approaches him, he is reading a very key passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And we can't be certain why exactly he is reading this passage. But commentators point out that it was likely because what uh, what occurs in the book of Isaiah just a few chapters later. You know, at this time in history, there wasn't chapter breaks, but in that same section of scripture, in Isaiah chapter 56, this is what it says. It says, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. And who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, covenant, to them I will give within my temple in its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. That Isaiah tells of this future day when, when God would include eunuchs and foreigners in his people. That those who seek God would be brought into God's family. They would be brought into God's temple and adopted as sons and daughters. And all of this hinged on this character from Isaiah chapter 53. That he he would be the one to bring this future reality about. A passage famously called, The Suffering Servant. And this is what, I, uh, what the eunuch is reading from as Philip approaches. This is what he's reading from in Isaiah chapter 53. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silence, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. Isaiah 53 tells of a servant who will come and who will suffer on our behalf to take all our guilt and all our shame and all our sin and all our brokenness so that even people like the eunuch could have a relationship with God. And so this passage gave the eunuch great hope. And so he asks Philip, he says, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? I mean, you can just hear the desperation this guy must have had in his voice. Man, tell me who this is. Tell me who this servant is who who Isaiah says was was pierced for my transgressions and was crushed for my iniquities. Who, Who is this servant who through his death is going to bring healing to me? Well, it says, Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip says, I have some good news for you. Man, this this suffering servant that was going to come and make a way for you to know God, he has come in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life and that he went to the cross to take all our guilt and all our shame and all our sin on himself. And he rose from the grave to give us new life so that we can have a relationship with God. And he tells him the message of Jesus, the message that we have been talking about through this series. And man, just like that, this eunuch turns to God, is baptized, and his life and eternity are changed forever. Guys, think about this for a second. Think about how much God must have loved this guy. Think about how much God must have loved this eunuch. Man, he sends him all the way to Jerusalem on this thousand mile trip. Man, he sends Philip, he sends an angel and his spirit to send Philip to intercept him. And man, just as he is approaching him, he is reading this very passage of scripture. You know, sometimes we talk about this idea of finding God, right? That we found God. And I get what we mean by that, that we, were, that we were going down the wrong path, right? We were pursuing a, a destructive lifestyle and we kind of figured that out. And so we knew something needed to change. So we start to investigate something new and maybe we stumble upon Christianity. And after, after investigating that, we come to the conclusion that it's, that it's true, right? We've, we found God. But man, I get that, but I think when we look at a passage like this, and the truth is we didn't find God. God found us. God came and found us. It's not that we were a little misguided and just had to reorient ourselves to a better path. It's that we were dead, that we were hopelessly lost, and Jesus Christ came and found us. And it's what Luke, the, the, the author of Acts, says in his first volume, the Gospel of Luke. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus is the one who is seeking and saving. That he is the one who is finding the lost. And how does Jesus do it? How does he continue to seek and save the lost today? By partnering with his followers who are receptive to his spirit, perceptive to people, and equipped with his message. That man, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, it's probably because God has sent someone into your life who loves you, and who has been praying for you, and who cared enough to step into your life, to build a relationship with you, and, and who had enough courage to share this incredible message about Jesus with you. And man, now Jesus invites us to share it with others. And so the question is are we equipped with his message? Are we ready to share that message? Like we say, witnessing begins with our lives, but there comes a time where we have to open our mouths and tell, and will we be ready when that time comes? And man, I don't think that just means inviting people to church. I think that's a great thing to do, and we should continue to invite people to church. But I think we all know in today's culture, in our culture today, people are becoming less and less likely to walk into a church building and hear this message preached from the stage. I think the book of Acts shows us what happens when God's people rediscover this mission. That the gospel doesn't just get preached from a church stage in the church, but it gets preached outside of these four walls. That man, it gets preached in living rooms, in coffee shops. That it gets shared in the gym and in the classroom. Man, that it gets shared in the workplace and at our dinner tables. Because the truth is there, there are people in our lives, friends, family, coworkers, e- even strangers, and that we bump into every day that, that God is actively drawing to himself. And that he wants to partner with us in this room to reach them. By us praying for these people and these gospel opportunities and being receptive when they come, by by us building relationships with people who are far from God so we can know how this good news might be particularly good news to them. And then when the time comes by sharing this incredible message about a Savior who has come for them. The bottom line is that Jesus is on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And he wants to partner with his followers that are receptive to his spirit, perceptive to people, and equipped with his message. Someone invite the band up, and we're going to get ready to close out. Uh, but as they make their way up here, I do want to just close with kind of one, one last thought. And so I know that uh, in a room the size, you know, on this weekend, there, there's I know that there's, there's certainly some people in this room who aren't followers of Jesus. And, and maybe you are wondering why exactly you're here, right? And maybe somebody invited you, and you just felt kind of obligated, so you came out. Or, or maybe, uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving and, you, and you're kind of in town for that and your family dragged you out here. Maybe it was kind of turkey that brought you here today, basically. Um, but whatever it is, uh, I know that there's, there's also a chance that, that you're here because you feel like this eunuch did. Because maybe you, you have given your life to your career only to have it take from you instead of give to you. Or you've given your life to a relationship only to have it break your heart or to find that it didn't fill the the need that you have inside. Or maybe you've placed your hopes and dreams in something and you've even gotten that, but you still can't shake the feeling that there has got to be more to life than what you are experiencing. Well, can I just tell you, I think I know why you're here. I think I know why. It's because the God of the universe loves you and because you were created for a relationship with him and because he is drawing you back to himself and he wants you to come back to him. And so if that's you, can can I just encourage you, don't ignore that, give in to that. Don't ignore the guilt and, and the pain you have in your life. Let Jesus take it. Man, don't ignore the emptiness you have inside. Let Jesus fill it. And man, you can do that right now. You can do that this morning just by embracing this message that even though we have all rebelled against the author of life, he has sent his son to die for us and give us new life. And so you can turn to Jesus and crown him the Lord of your life and follow him with everything you have for the rest of your life. And I'd encourage you to do that and let us know because we want to celebrate with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, thank you so much, uh, God, that when we, um, when we were long off and when we were far off, Lord, that, uh, God, you sent Jesus uh, to this earth, Lord, that you span heaven and earth to come and to save us, Lord, that we... Uh, we're lost, but God, you have sent Jesus to find us. And God, not only did you send Jesus, but you have sent people into our life to bring us this message about Him, Lord, to love us, to pursue us, and to and to share uh, about this God who has done that to a to a whole new level, God. And Lord, I pray that we in this room, uh, for those of us who are Your followers, God, that we would do the same. God, that we would be praying, that God, about people in our lives, that you would be leading us to them, God, that, that we could build relationships with them and love them and share uh, your heart for them, God. That, God, we we would be drawing near to these people uh, who are far from you, Lord, and you would give us the boldness and the confidence to share this message when that time comes, Lord. And, God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who, who doesn't know you, Lord, I, I pray that they would see that... God, you, you are drawing them back to yourself, Lord, and that they could come into this relationship with you because of what Jesus has done, Lord. God, thank you so much for your incredible love for us, God. And we pray all this in your name, amen.